my object in this treatise is to examine into the real nature of the interest of capital for the purpose of proving that it is lawful and explaining why it should be perpetual this may appear singular and yet i confess i am more afraid of being too plain than too obscure i am afraid i may weary the reader by a series of mere truisms but it is no easy matter to avoid this danger when the facts with which we have to deal are known to every one by personal familiar and daily experience but then you will say what is the use of this treatise why explain what everybody knows but although this problem appears at first sight so very simple there is more in it than you might suppose i shall endeavor to prove this by an example mondor lends an instrument of labor today which will be entirely destroyed in a week yet the capital will not produce the less interest to mondor or his heirs through all eternity reader can you honestly say that you understand the reason of this it would be a waste of time to seek any satisfactory explanation from the writings of economists they have not thrown much light upon the reasons of the existence of interest for this they are not to be blamed for at the time they wrote its lawfulness was not called into question now however times are altered the case is different men who consider themselves to be in advance of their age have organized an active crusade against capital and interest it is the productiveness of capital which they are attacking not certain abuses in the administration of it but the principle itself a journal has been established to serve as a vehicle for this crusade it is conducted by monsieur prudent and has it is said an immense circulation the first number of this periodical contains the electoral manifesto of the people. Here we read, quote, The productiveness of capital, which is condemned by Christianity under the name of usury, is the true cause of misery, the true principle of destitution, the eternal obstacle to the establishment of the republic. End quote. Another journal, La Ruche Populaire, after having said some excellent things on labor, adds, quote, But above all, labor ought to be free, that is, it ought to be organized in such a manner that moneylenders and patrons or masters should not be paid for this liberty of labor, this right of labor, which is raised to so high a price by the traffickers of men. The only thought that I notice here is that expressed by the words in italics that moneylenders and patrons or masters should not be paid, which imply a denial of the right to interest. The remainder of the article explains it. It is thus that the democratic socialist Thoreau expresses himself. Quote, the revolution will always have to be recommenced so long as we occupy ourselves with consequences only without having the logic or the courage to attack the principle itself this principle is capital false property interest and usury which by the old regime is made to weigh upon labor ever since the aristocrats invented the incredible fiction that capital possesses the power of reproducing itself the workers have been at the mercy of the idle at the end of a year will you find an additional crown in a bag of 100 shillings at the end of 14 years will your shillings have doubled in your bag 
will a work of industry or of skill produce another at the end of fourteen years let us begin then by demolishing this fatal fiction quoted the above merely for the sake of establishing the fact that many persons consider the productiveness of capital a false, a fatal, and an iniquitous principle. But quotations are superfluous. It is well known that the people attribute their sufferings to what they call the trafficking in man by man. In fact, the phrase tyranny of capital has become proverbial. I believe there is not a man in the world who is aware of the whole importance of this question. Is the interest of capital natural, just, and lawful, and as useful to the payer as to the receiver? You answer, no. I answer, yes. Then we differ entirely, but it is of the utmost importance to discover which of us is in the right. Otherwise, we shall incur the danger of making a false solution of the question a matter of opinion. If the error is on my side, however, the evil would not be so great. It must be inferred that I know nothing about the true interests of the masses or the march of human progress, and that all my arguments are but as so many grains of sand, by which the car of the revolution will certainly not be arrested. But if, on the contrary, Messieurs Proudhon and Thoré are deceiving themselves, it follows that they are leading the people astray that they are showing them the evil where it does not exist, and thus giving a false direction to their ideas, to their antipathies, to their dislikes, and to their attacks. It follows that the misguided people are rushing into a horrible and absurd struggle in which victory would be more fatal than defeat, since, according to this supposition, the result would be the realization of universal evils, the destruction of every means of emancipation, the consummation of its own misery. This is just what Monsieur Proudhon has acknowledged, with perfect good faith. He told me, quote, The foundation stone of my system is the gratuitousness of credit. If I am mistaken in this, socialism is a vain dream. I add, it is a dream in which the people are tearing themselves to pieces. Will it therefore be a cause for surprise if when they awake they find themselves mangled and bleeding? Such a danger as this is enough to justify me fully if in the course of the discussion I allow myself to be led into some trivialities and some prolixities. 